The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast on the number one division in the NBA, brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Before we get into it today, I just have two things to ask of you guys. All I want is if you liked the episode, if you listened to the episode, share it with one friend and just get the word out there on this, this podcast and the second is to make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube. And uh, make sure you check out our new Instagram page as well. We have things pretty much every day from the last night in the Atlantic series, talking about anything that happened in the Atlantic last night, up to news, um, graphics, everything you can think of on there. So make sure you check out us. Check us out on Instagram at The Atlantic Files. So. Without further ado, we are moving on to the second round of the playoffs. I know the second round isn't fully uh, set for the Western Conference, but in the East, it is set. We are good to go. All the first round series were decided in at most five games. Uh, with the Atlantic teams, they all went four to one. The only one that was a sweep was Bucks versus Miami. That was pretty pitiful. The Bucks just completely destroyed them that was no contest the entire way through but we are going to start off with the top half of actually you know what we're gonna start off with the bottom half of the bracket because the brooklyn milwaukee game will come first they will play saturday we are recording this as of friday so a day before that happens um so let's take a step back actually into the first round just to kind of recap the Celtics versus Nets series. So we saw it went 4-1. Brooklyn, I mean, just blew Boston out of the water pretty much every win that they had. The only win that was pretty close was really game one, which ended up 104-93. And I mean, technically an 11-point win really isn't that close, especially in basketball, but for the sake of things, for the sake of the other games that they won, it was close. So they won the first 104-93. They lost the second 130, or I'm sorry, they won the second 130-108. to They lost the third game, 125-119, to because that was the Jason Tatum 50-point game. Then they won the next two games, 141-126 and 123-109. One of the big, I think, reoccurring themes in this series is something that we've been talking about with Brooklyn for this entire season, even before they got Harden, which is the lack of defense. The only game uh, that Boston was held under 108 points is game one when they had 93. The rest of the time, Boston had 108, 125, 126, and 109. If you're giving up that kind of offense to Boston, Lord only knows what kind of offense you're going to give up to Milwaukee, who has ten time, a, who has a 10 times better roster than Boston does. I mean, Giannis alone is probably better than 
almost the entire roster. You might have a little bit of an argument for Jason Tatum, but he's better than everybody else. So that alone is a little worrisome. However, Brooklyn did provide on the offensive end, as we all expected. I mean, 130, 125, 141, 123. That first game, 104, was the only like average kind of offensive game from them. And their big three, you know, each game has been looking more and more fluid, more and more potent, more and more, or I should say, higher chemistry. The issue, I think, comes into play where to beat the better teams, such as Milwaukee, even the Sixers, whoever they face from the West, is going to be, who else is going to provide offense for you? on the team other than the big three. I mean, don't get me wrong. That big three could get 30 points each. But then at that point, so say say they give you 30 each, just for the sake of this, this discussion here, say they give you 30 each. That's 90 points, right? A lot of the times, if you have 90 points, you're not really winning an NBA game in today's game. That might have been good, you know, early 2000s. But in today's game, 90 points really isn't winning you a game unless you're facing like the Knicks. So, and I only say the Knicks because of what happened in their playoff series. Not trying to just, you know, <laughs> go off record and and like solely scold the Knicks. But that gets you 90 points. That doesn't win you a game in and of itself. You need the the extra points from Joe Harris. You need the extra points from the bench. You need that little kick, that little bit of extra. And it's going to probably be someone different every single time. I mean, Bruce Brown was even a, a guy that can really give you some quality offense on there as well. We all know Joe Harris is, you know, probably going to be the main guy giving you the extra offense, especially with his outside shot. And the big thing to me, especially in this upcoming series against Milwaukee, is the play from the five and four spot now we know Kevin Durant is probably going to play one of those two spots I'm especially um interested to see the lineups where they have Kevin Durant in the five against maybe you know maybe Milwaukee goes with Giannis at the five in those lineups maybe they go with uh Giannis at the four and then they have they keep Brooke Lopez in at the five I'm curious to see whether if the Bucks aren't hitting all of their shots in that lineup are they going to get any rebounds are they going to be able to get into the paint if they have like Giannis and Brooke Lopez in there in the middle at the same time there's going to be a lot of factors there and I think that one reason why a lot of people are now very high on the Bucks where they weren't as high on them before like don't act like people, the people who are picking the Bucks now, don't act like all of you were always picking the Bucks before because, excuse me, there was a lot of people that didn't even have the Bucks going past the first round because they saw they're facing Miami and we know what happened against, with them against Miami last season. So, like, don't all of a sudden say, oh, I had the Bucks winning, winning the East this whole time. Don't give me that, especially when Harden came. 99% of people were like, oh, Brooklyn's taking the East. They're probably taking it all. So now that we saw how bad the Bucks dismantled Miami, people are changing their gear a little bit. People switching up. I get it. They look good. 
but don't act like you picked them from the start. That's all I'm saying. Drew Holiday gives them a great, not only offensive look from the point guard position, but a defensive look, especially compared to seasons past when, I mean, their best point guards were like Brogdon or uh, Bledsoe. Drew, uh, no disrespect to Brogdon because Brogdon's a very good player, Uh, but Drew's better than both of them, probably combined. So he gives them a great look, both sides of the ball. He at least gives you a defensive option that you don't really have to worry about, too. Like, you don't have to have Brooke Lopez kind of like QB spying the point guard because you know Drew, if he's not able to shut them down, he's going to slow them down. He's going to force them into worse shots than, you know, they might be accustomed to taking, especially against Boston when you had, like, Peyton Pritchard on you. But I think all in all, this series is going to be a very good one. And I also think it doesn't go to seven. I think it only goes to six. But I do have Brooklyn winning just because of that little bit of offensive edge they have with that big three and the ability they have to outscore their defensive deficiencies. I think that's really the biggest thing. So moving on. Two, I wanted to bring up the Hawks versus Knicks. So, I mean, we were pretty high on the Knicks on this show. I don't know if you guys listened to the prior ones. If you didn't, go back and listen. We were pretty high on the Knicks. We had the Knicks winning this first round series. I think I said in six, if I'm not mistaken, maybe seven. But Trey Young, hey, Trey Young came out. He balled. He that like, and there wasn't a hair joke. Um, he really owned this villain, this super villain role against the Knicks and really against all NBA fans. He really owned this role in general and he came out and he shut people up. He silenced, you know, the Knicks crowd. He messed around with them. He was like, what are you going to do next? Spit on me when they, after they have already tried to spit on him, there was, a lot of funny, like, almost like WWE-esque uh, side stories going on with that whole series, and I thought it was pretty great. Um, but Trey Young ultimately was way too much for the Knicks. The Knicks just didn't have enough offense to really finish out this series. The defense was still decent. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about, you know, the total that the Hawks got... The Hawks' offense, outside of Trey Young, really didn't do all that much. They had one game where they had 113, and that was their highest scoring game. I mean, you look at how much the Sixers scored, how much the Bucks scored, how much the Nets scored in their four to five games in that first round, way more than the Hawks. So the defense was still decent, and the defense was great and all, but you got to be able to score. Like... I, I, of all people, am a huge proponent of having a great defense. I love defense. I love defensive teams. I love defensive-minded players. But especially in today's game, it still comes down to offense, still comes down to shooting, still comes down to producing out of your defense. And the Knicks didn't do that. That's plain and simple. And they really didn't force a whole lot of looks towards guys like Trey Young. Trey Young was just camping on, you know, Bullock in the corner. And 
you can't really run like a pick and roll with Bullock because he's not much of a ball handler. He's definitely not a primary pick and roll guy. And even if you have him as the screener, Trey Young probably is going to follow him anyway. Like, you're really not going to force much of a switch. That's just really what it comes down to. So they couldn't attack the right matchups because they didn't have the right guys in there to do so. And on top of that, some injuries. Julius Randle really not playing well at all. Atlanta did have a decent um, defensive scheme against Julius Randle. There was a lot of double teaming against him, and he just wasn't prepared for it or wasn't used to it and, you know, committed a lot of turnovers missed a lot of shots, and that's your number one guy right there for this season. So outside of that, you know, R.J. Barrett didn't shoot well either. He didn't produce much offense. There really wasn't much offense going on with the Knicks outside of Derrick Rose. He was their go-to guy, and at the age of 32, and a guy that we didn't think was ever going to get up anywhere close to the level he was at before the injury, you can't just put all that on him and expect to win a series. But much respect to Derrick Rose because he had a hell of a series, but you still need to add more on top of that to actually win this one. Um, and I was just curious. I looked up some stats for Trey Young. Uh, via Stat Muse, the Hawks are actually 35 and 27 in his career. That's not just this year. In his career, they are 35 and 27 when Trey Young scores 30 or more points. In this uh, Nick's series alone, he had, I think it was three out of the five games he scored 30 points, and they went two and one in those games. The only one they lost was game two, um, but the rest of that, I mean, like game four, Trey Young had 27, and let's see, game three, I want to say he had like 26, if I'm not mistaken. 21, sorry, 21. Um, so then that got me thinking. So what if, you know, what what's their record when Trey Young starts playmaking a little bit more than he does scoring? So what I did first was check the Hawks record when he records 10 or more assists. In his these are all in his career, by the way, not just this season. They are 40 and 46 when he records 10 or more assists. They are 52-59 and 59 when he records nine or more assists. And then finally, they are 61-74 and 74 when he records eight or more assists. So I thought this was pretty interesting that their record really isn't all that great when he's recording more and more assists in his, in his games, but they're doing pretty well um, when he starts scoring more. So, all in all, yeah, I think with the Knicks, it just was a lack of offense. But I think that this season was still ridiculously successful for the Knicks. I still think this sets them up great to actually attract a medium-to-big-name free agent. I don't think it attracts a superstar just yet. I feel as though they might need one more good season, one more playoff season, maybe one series win in there to really get a superstar free agent. But I think this, at the very least, attracts a very good free agent, maybe like a fringe star or like a star-but-fringe superstar kind of player. But ultimately not enough to you know get them to the championship but probably enough to get them a series win maybe even two so i still think this sets them up very well 
they still got some some picks. They still have some room to do some things. They could trade some people away and everything. All in all, great season for the Knicks. Just sucks that it had to end that way. And then we got the Sixers. They finished up shop in Philly. The Sixers, I mean, they put up a ton of offense this series too. Um, I believe they were in the top 10 for like most most points, most total points scored in a series or maybe a first round series. I forget what it was, but um, I mean, they put up 125, 120, 132, 114, 129, and two of those were pretty much without Embiid. I mean, the game four, Embiid played like the first quarter and then was out. So, uh, but that really is the big news is that Embiid might be out for a little bit of time here. He's considered day-to-day. He has a slight lateral tear in his meniscus. And this is uh, similar to the injury that he had a couple years ago, I believe it was. He did have a tear in his meniscus in the other knee. I don't know if it was a lateral one or like the lateral part of the meniscus or not, but he did have a tear in that one. He ended up needing surgery after that, but he did play on it for a little while. So now it's going to be, you know, what's he going to look like? If you bring him back for like, are you going to bring him back for the first two games at home in this series against the Hawks just to get some momentum? Are you going to keep him out of those two games and hope that, you know, the team does well at home without him? And then once you go away, you bring him back just so you have that extra scoring prowess on the road when you're better at home as it is anyway. There's a lot of things that they can do here. So this Sixers versus Hawks series, I think, is going to be very interesting. The Sixers record all time without Embiid is 55 and 26. And let's see if we can get it for just this year. The Sixers are 10 and 11 without Joel Embiid this season. And then we have, let me see here, Sixers, the Sixers record with Embiid all time is 168 and 92. But in this season, it is 39 and 12 with Joel Embiid playing. And there's some big differences in these two stack comparisons because the Sixers without Embiid this year are scoring 109.3 points per game. With him, that jumps up a full six points a game. It also gives them more steals, more blocks. Um, field goal percentage goes up by three percentage points. Three-point percentage goes up by three points. Free throw percentage goes up by seven points. I mean, everything essentially goes up when Embiid is playing for the Sixers. And then it all comes crashing back down without him. So the big question, I think, in this series is, will Ben Simmons be able to step it up enough to account for losing Joel Embiid. And I'm not saying that all of this scoring that Embiid, that the uh, becomes a void without Embiid, I'm not saying that Simmons has to account for all of that. Tobias should share some too. I think Tobias definitely has the scoring capabilities. I mean, in the series against um, 
Washington, he had a couple 30-point games. He he had some very good games in there, that, and he can definitely fill up the, the scoreboard. Um, even Seth Curry dropped 30 points on the last game of the series. There are a lot of guys who can still, you know, hit some threes and, and get some points on the board to make up for that. But I think that it really has to come from either Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris, the bulk of it, or, or even both. Um, just because with Embiid, like the reason a lot of these percentages go up is not just because Embiid has some good shooting percentages, but it's also because he is a gravitational force. When he gets the ball, he's getting double teamed almost all the time. And he's kicking it out and finding the open man. He has become a much better decision maker and a much better passer out of the double team. And that has helped this team level up and become what they are right now. Without that, you're not double teaming Ben Simmons. You're actually giving him a lot of room because he's not shooting. You're not really double teaming Tobias Harris because he has shown that if you put a good enough defender on him that you can really force him into bad shots and he starts to have a bad shooting night and kind of trickles off. Then, if that's the case, all your shooters get a defender on them. They're not open anymore. They might be taking some tougher shots than they're used to. So then it all trickles down. So the big thing is, will Ben Simmons be able to keep the defense honest will they be able to attack Trey Young and attack the matchups that they need the big thing is you got guys that can attack some pick and rolls um on a lot of different levels like you can run pick and rolls with Simmons as the ball handler or even the screener you can run a pick and roll with Tobias Harris you can even run one with Seth Curry he has shown the ability to do that a lot uh Danny Green is decent at it but I probably wouldn't run it with him often and then you bring in guys like Tyrese Maxey Shake Milton even though Shake Milton hasn't been that great and really needs to step up um you have a lot of these guys that can run the pick and roll and can allow you to attack more favorable matchups the only thing is is are you going to be able to take advantage of it? Are you going to attack it often? And are you going to force the Hawks to switch to whatever your game plan is rather than adjust your game plan to theirs? That, I think, is the biggest thing, and I think that is what's going to decide whether or not the Sixers will be successful in this series without Embiid and possibly be able to take this without Embiid and, you know, maybe even give him some rest because if, say, they don't play him game one just to see how it goes, if they come out and just blow the Hawks away, hey, maybe then, all right, we'll rest him game two. That's a lot of momentum. You get blown out like that and you got to come back to our house. <laughs> rest him some more, you know? Like, if, if I think the biggest thing is they have to be able to play well, especially to potentially give Embiid some more rest because that's going to unlock the rest of the postseason. But that's it for me, guys. I don't have a rant this week because we kind of talked about everything that I have on my on my mind about basketball right now. So that's it for me. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast on the number one division in the NBA. Brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube. 
And make sure you drop a rating and review and share this with one friend like I was talking about before. Just one friend. Just share with them, you know, get their thoughts on it, see how they like it as well. I appreciate you guys, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.